Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Really glad that you're... Wow, good morning. All right, good morning. And good morning to you, our online audience, wherever you might be today, Canada, the province, around the world. Glad you're hanging out with us today. Listen, before I get into my sermon this morning, I just want to back up what Beth just said. The 905 event is coming on the 20th, and the significance is not just that it's a concert, uh, it's evangelistic in nature, but I just want to bring this home. Uh, Beth was mentioning 24-hour prayer, and it's the first time in our church's history where we're going to have an on-site 24-hour prayer. And by the way, for you already thinking logical people, there is security provided, just want to say that. But not only is that happening, the other thing that's happening is we're actually broadcasting the prayer meeting too, online. So you can join us here or online as we pray. And it's twofold. The prayer is for that 905 event that God would show up. It wouldn't just be a concert, but people would be met. People would be challenged. They would meet Jesus personally. But not only that, it's also a time where we're going to be praying for God's continued work throughout C4 Church. And so just want to really say that to you, whether you want to do this virtually or physically here or in your home, please go and sign up because our goal is to see people praying for a whole 24 hours to see God do an amazing thing. So does that make sense with everyone? It's good. And uh, anyone? Prayer? Good? Okay. It's a good thing. So, all right. Well, week six, we're here in our spiritual gift series as our family's journaling through every single gift that we can at least find in the New Testament. Now, as I've shared week after week after week, the goal here is simple. It is to build a common script among us so we can see each other through how God has gifted all of us. It's beginning to experientially and theologically and biblically be on the same page. So as we move towards our vision and God continues to work out his mission that we're joining him in, we can talk and understand and work together even better. As I've said also week after week, the gifts can be broken down into three ways. And I took this from another author. The love gifts, the teaching gifts or the word gifts, and then the power gifts. Love gifts demonstrate the love of God in very practical ways. The teaching gifts or the word gifts clarify the nature of God, the actions of God, the very purposes of God. And the power gifts actually demonstrate the power of God, the living presence of God, and the very reality of God. So today we're going to move from the love gifts and the word gifts over to what Dave calls the sci-fi gifts. The power gifts. Now I chose to use the gift of prophecy as a bridge because it's actually both a word gift and a power gift at the same time. I I said I suppose I could make this sermon really short though we've already got an hour extra sleep. All of you that have the gift already know what I'm going to speak on. You know who's going to lay hands on you so I could just say amen, come forward, we could all go home. Right? To Swiss Chalet, let's all go. No. No, no. Because actually that mentality is not exactly what New Testament prophecy is, and that's the point. Now, I, I want to work this out this morning. Let me deal with something right up front for us and, here, and you online. Some of you inside are going, yes, you are cheering. You're like, finally, C4 Church is going to do this stuff. We're going to go there. Others of you are going, no, 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 no. I don't want our church to become one of those churches. Others of you are sincerely saying at this moment, John, you need to be unbelievably careful with my soul. 
Because I left churches where everything went sideways and it got so weird, I got hurt in the process. You're not going to do that, are you? Others of you who are joining us are going, what are you talking about? What's about to happen? It's all good. Well, here's what I want to say to everyone this morning. No matter who you are on that scale, I want all of us at this moment to do something. And this is a supernatural activity. I want all of us with Jesus right now to lay down some things. I want us to lay down our ideas. I want us to lay down our hopes. I want us to lay down our histories. I want us to lay down our theology, our expectations, whether good or bad. I want us as a church to lay down, here's the big one, our fear, our control, our embarrassment. I want to lay down the very good experiences we've had in other churches and the very bad ones. I want us to say to Jesus this morning, would you just let the scriptures speak so we can follow? Would everyone be willing to do that for a moment? So take a moment, because you know where you are, and just say, Jesus, I'm open. And if you're resisting that, you know there's an issue. Hear our prayer. And everyone said? Amen. Okay. Now, what's really interesting about the gift of prophecy is this. It is found in all the major passages on spiritual gifts. In Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 14 and Romans 12, this is one of the gifts that's repeated time and time again. Now, we need to pay close attention this morning because many of us that have grown up in church have confused this gift with other gifts. Some of you have even taken spiritual gift tests, and those tests collapse this gift into teaching or exhortation. But as we're going to see, this is not those gifts. Ephesians 4.11 reads like this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. In 1 Corinthians 14.8, it reads like this. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. In Romans 12, 6, it reads like this. We all have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. Now, there's so much to cover here. What is this gift? What does it look like? Where did the different understandings of it come from? How do you use the gift of prophecy in a small group versus a large gathering like this? What's the role of gender? What's the role of history? What is normative for all church, no matter background, color, ethnicity, or denomination? And what was specifically being dealt with in the New Testament? So please understand, I'm not going to cover all that today because we would never get to Swiss LA, truly. So let me just say right up front, that I'm going to cover only some of this today. If some of you are very inclined, really want to get into this, a guy named Wayne Grudem has written a phenomenal book called Prophecy for Today. It's balanced, it's biblical, it's strong, and, well, enjoy. Okay, so let me get into this specifically. Let's get into some definitions of prophecy. I mean, we've got to start with a common script, so let's do some definition work. One person wrote this, that the gift of prophecy, everyone ready? is to provide correction or perspective on a situation, enabling the body of Jesus to discern God's leading. Now, I read that, and I said, that's really good. Actually, that hits prophecy well. The problem is it's way too vague. This can move us to all sorts of gifts. You could say that's teaching. You could say that's exhortation. You could say even that's leadership. It doesn't go far enough. 
So as I really read and studied, here's the one I landed on. And here it is. A person operating with a gift of prophecy has the capacity to deliver truth in a public way, whether in a predictive nature or as a situational word from God in order to correct by exhortation, edifying, or consoling believers, or to convince non-believers of God's very truth. Now, this is important for all of us. Notice what this is saying. It is a public thing. It is a word given in a foresight, so it's a future thing, or it's a situational word for the community. And it edifies or rebukes Christians or actually brings non-Christians right to God himself. One author stated it this way, a person operating with this gift is deeply impressed that God has by his spirit given him or her a message to deliver in a public situation. He or she proclaims that message with an authority and a conviction. The message may result in further insight into God's word, may cause conviction of public sin, may bring reproof, provide comfort, or even give a new sense of direction for a whole group. Many times the message will actually speak to a prominent issue a whole church is facing. The person is not the one who is exposing the biblical word of God. They're not the teacher. Rather, they're exposing the will of God, and I would add, in that situation. Some of you are going, I'm still lost. It's okay. Let's deal with some key questions right up front. John, are those with a gift of prophecy the same as Old Testament prophets? And the answer is a resounding, loud, no. Everyone say it. No. You didn't say it strong enough. No. This is big. The Old Testament prophets spoke the very words of God and wrote the very words of God. This is what we now have in our hands. And we have already talked about this in this series. That in the New Testament, those who actually got the very words of God were the capital A apostles. Those with the office of apostles. And so we need to understand that when we talk about the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, it is not to be equated with the apostles or the prophets in the Old Testament. Different deal. Prophecy is unbelievably different. This is what Wayne Grudem wrote. Paul indicates that God could bring something spontaneous to your mind so the person prophesying would report it in his or her own words, not God's. Paul calls this in 1 Corinthians 14 a revelation, small r. He uses the word revelation in the broad sense, not the technical sense that theologians use to actually talk about Scripture. Paul is simply referring to something that God may suddenly bring to your mind or something that God may impress on your consciousness in such a way that you have a sense, this is from God and it's not from you. It may be that that thought is brought into your mind is surprisingly distinct from your own train of thought. Or you have a vividness or an urgency or a persistence or some other indication that this is truly from the Lord and not from you. You're John, some of you are saying, John, that was really heady. What's the point? Here it is. Prophecy in the New Testament is lesser all the time than God's word. And it's even lesser than the teaching of God's word. Prophecies are never infallible, but God's word is our final authority for faith, life, and practice. Many people say, God, they say, John, I always want to hear God speak. And I go, great, read this. He's talking all the time. Prophecy is not this. And we know this right out of the scriptures. I mean, what does it actually say? What does the Bible say about itself? 
2 Timothy 3.16. For all scripture is God-breathed. And yet when you read the accounts in Thessalonians and Acts and Corinthians of a prophecy, it doesn't have the same bang. It doesn't have the same authority. And we're going to notice this together. You see, when a prophecy is given, it actually is, we're called to test it. Now, we should always test what I or Dave or Joe or whoever speaks is saying. But this is actually saying we're called to test the very words of the prophecy. Turn to Acts 21 if you've got a Bible this morning, whether it's physical or, or virtual. We've got Wi-Fi in here, so you can go there right now. Acts 21. We're going to hang out in Acts 21 and 1 Corinthians in a little bit. Acts 21 is one of the best historical accounts of a prophecy and gives us insight to why this matters. Now, if you're tuning out, don't. Because this is very significant for our family this morning. Uh, Acts 21.4, I'll just start here. It says that through the Spirit, a group of Christians told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now this is actually a prophetic statement. It's a public situational word from God at that moment. Now what's amazing is if you read Acts, Paul violates it 100% and goes to Jerusalem. He would have never done this if this was equal to the Bible or had the very words of God. Prophecy is lesser. Keep reading in verse 8. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. We talked about him last week. But look at the next verse, verse 9. He had four unmarried daughters who all prophesied. After he'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. Now, I just want to stop right there. Can you imagine? What are you touching my belt for? Boundaries. This guy walks right up, takes Paul's belt off, and then ties his own hands and feet. This is when you're dialing 911, right? Okay. Takes his hands and feet and says these words to Paul himself. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, will hand him over to the non-Jews. Now, Agabus, you need to know, was a gifted man from God. He was the real deal. He actually had the gift of prophecy. And if you know Jesus, you will actually meet him one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Yet this example, everyone, helps us understand the role of this gift and where it can go right and where it can go wrong. See, Here's the side note most people never think about. Agabus got only two-thirds of the prophecy right. And he got one-third of the prophecy wrong, if you keep reading the book of Acts. Here's how one person summarizes it. If you read the Bible, it says, he writes, the Romans, not the Jews, actually bound Paul up. The Jews in the story, rather than delivering him voluntarily, tried to kill Paul, and he was rescued by force by the Romans. Now, the prediction he writes was not far off, but it had inaccuracies in detail that would call into question any Old Testament prophet. Actually, if he was an Old Testament prophet, he'd have to be stoned to death. On the other hand, here's the aha moment. On the other hand, this text could be perfectly well explained by supposing that Agabus had a vision of Paul as a prisoner of the Romans in Jerusalem surrounded by an angry mob of fellow Jews. His own interpretation of such a vision or revelation from the Holy Spirit would be that the Jews bound Paul and handed him over to the Romans, and that's what he prophesied. This is the exact style of a fallible prophecy that fits the definition that we're looking for in the New Testament. You need to understand this again. Prophecy 
in the New Testament is reporting in one's own words something that God himself has spontaneously brought to mind. I mean, this comes home again when you read Paul in other places. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, he writes this, Rejoice always. There's the joy theme. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ready, everyone? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and only hold on to what is good. Now, if the penny's not dropping yet, let me say it again. As one says, this implies that prophecy contains good things and some things that are not so good, and he encourages Christians only to hold to what is good. This could never be said about the Old Testament or the New Testament. This is a different type of thing going on. Now, unlike many other gifts, Paul gives us some amazing descriptors of how this gift looks, where it should be used, and how it should be used in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So you can turn there quick, and we're going to spend the rest of our day there. Not our day, the next few minutes there. Okay. Now what's amazing about this is that we get insight to this gift because Paul is writing a church just like ours who actually was making some mistakes. The gifts were right, how they were being used was wrong. So everyone tracking? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 14.1. This is when it gets exciting, at least for me. Okay. It says in first one, follow the way of love and eager, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now notice again, right up front, most of us miss this. He does not start with spiritual gifts. Paul starts with one thing, character, the way of love. You want to know what love is? Love is 1 Corinthians 13. It's read at every single marriage, and it should be, but we should be reading it all the time. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How's everyone doing? Love. Paul says you need to start with your character first because the heartbeat continually of gifts is God is going to give you amazing gifts, but even though they're God-given, without ever growing character, they will either be misused or you in the end will be discredited or I will because though God is working through us, our character isn't matching what we're saying. Paul says, follow the way of love. And then he says, get excited about prophecy. Now, then he says these words in verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue and does not speak to anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit of God. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, their encouragement, their comfort. Now, if you're a highlighter person, virtually or physically, verse 3. Notice Paul's issue here is not about your personal, private, devotional life. It's all about what's happening at this very moment, public worship. Paul is not saying that he wants to dismiss or shut down any gift God has given, but he wants to place gifts in the right place. The purpose of prophecy, Paul says, is simple. It's to strengthen Christians, it's to encourage Christians, and it's to comfort and basically confront Christians. This is all prophecy is about. It's not about the person speaking at the moment. It's not about the show. It's not about the wow factor. It's about God speaking dramatically into a context. God, when he uses this gift, will strengthen some of us, will give faith, will give encouragement. He will exhort. He will appeal. He will even gently rebuke a whole church community. 
Verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies builds up or edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you all prophesy. See, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church can be edified. Now, this is not saying, catch this please, especially if you've grown up in charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds. This is not saying that if tongues is done in public and then interpreted, it becomes prophecy for the rest of us. That's not the heartbeat of Paul here. You'll see it down later. If tongues is interpreted, then we as the community get to agree what God is saying to you or what you're praying or what you're thanking God for. But tongues is deeply, interestingly, person-centered, where prophecy is public. See, this is all about one word, ready? Intelligibility. That is the heartbeat of Paul. He's not denying either experience. He's talking about how does it work out right. Verse 6, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? I can break out in tongues all day long and you're going to look at me and go, I don't know. He says, what use is that in public worship? But if I bring teaching, a word of knowledge, or a word of instruction, or I bring a prophecy or a revelation, that's better. See, prophecy, he's saying, is better than tongues in public because it benefits all of us. And this implies something, and here's the moment, that this gift should not ever be neglected. It is one important part of worship gatherings. It's not weird, by the way. It's not crazy. It's not dangerous in the physical sense. It is word-centered because something is uttered, and it's power-centered because as we're about to see from Scripture, it actually demonstrates the very presence and the very reality of God himself among normal, everyday, broken people like all of us and all of you online. Verse 13. I'm just going to keep reading it. For this reason, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that they may interpret what they say. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit. Interesting, singing in tongues. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they do, don't know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is built up or edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Don't you love that? That's just hilarious. Just saying, speak way more than all of you. Side note. And then he says, but in the church, I love this, I would rather speak five intelligible words in instruction to others than 10,000 words in tongues. Wow. I would prefer one sentence of biblical teaching than spending half a day speaking in the Spirit. That is a profound statement. Now, we're going to talk about tongues, like I said, in the next few weeks. You, you can grip about that later. But Paul personally and pastorally at this point is saying one thing. Church, I want this place to be about love. I want this to be a place where God is moving and I want you to respect each other in such a way that people are built up. What is best for the whole family is the real heartbeat of him. The passage is a correction to a community that was overplaying the importance of tongues. And notice, so far at this moment as we've been walking, he has only been dealing with the effects of prophecy in tongues on Christians. 
The whole conversation is how does tongues rightly or wrongly affect you or us? How does prophecy help us as a community? And then he does something wild. He stops the conversation and he literally turns to a different audience and says, now I want to tell you how tongues and prophecy can affect those among you who don't know Jesus yet. And he says these words. Tongues then, verse 22, are a sign not for believers, but unbelievers. And prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but believers. So if the whole church comes together, I love this, and everyone's speaking in tongues and inquires, so seekers and even unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your what? Mind. Can you, just think about it. Someone walks in off the street, six, eight hundred of us in here, you know, breaking out in tongues. They're like, uh, wow, I'm out. Real quick. But then he says in verse 24, but if an unbeliever or a seeker, an inquirer, comes in while everyone is prophesying, here's the moment. They are convicted of sin. They're brought under the judgment by all. Here it is. And the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and they will actually worship God and exclaim, truly God is really among you. Paul is saying, don't think because you all break out in tongues all the time that non-Christians or seekers are going to come in and say, well, it's obvious God's in the house because you're all doing this. They are going to say, you're crazy. I don't know what's going on. I'm leaving. This is Paul correcting this church so they understand the effect of these gifts, both on Christians and non-Christians within one gathering. So think about this. Keep with me. This implies that in the early church, worship gatherings, just like we're having today, they had both Christians and seeking and those not seeking at all. That's why one of our core values, by the way, in this church is that we believe we're always speaking to two audiences. Church and worship gatherings are open to everybody. Second, through this gift, here it is, I love this, even the most hardened, the most skeptical, the most opposed person could actually be met by the living God personally. Now, this is a powerful idea. It's scary, and it probably does reveal why many of us don't really want this gift in function in and around us. See, a worship service suddenly becomes fully dynamic. It's interactive. It becomes unsafe in the Canadian way. A place where fear and embarrassment have... Yes. Yes. I'm with you. So if you give me five minutes, I'm going to tell you how to do this right. Thanks, Nick. Okay. Thank you. We're going to actually talk about how we're going to do this right. Give me a sec. So... Here we are. Okay. This again, like I was just saying, is where things like that begin to take place. Now, I love the example I found this week based on a prophecy that had an interaction, first of all, with a non-believer. Now, this is Wayne Grudem's experience, and he says this, I heard a report of this happening in a clearly non-charismatic Baptist church in the States. A missionary speaker paused in the middle of his message and said something like this. 
I didn't plan to say this this morning, but it seems that the Lord is indicating that someone in this church has just walked out on his wife and his family. And if that's so, let me just tell you that God wants you to return to your wife and family and learn how to live after God's pattern of life. Now, the missionary had no clue, but in that unlit balcony in that morning sat a man who just had walked into the church moments before, sat down, and had never been in church in his life. And that was his description. He made himself known, he acknowledged his sin before the pastor, and he began to seek after God. Now, that's an example of what a prophecy would begin to look like when God would meet someone among us. Now, this example talks about God's direction towards non-believers. Yet, this is also true for those who are Christians. God could give a word to the public prophetically, and it could be for you personally, it could be for your family, or even for our whole church. And when God comes in all his holiness and love to speak, things begin to radically change. And this is going to go to where Nick was just asking some questions. How many of us, let me just say this first, How many of us need, even as Christians, to cry out, really, there is a God here at C4 Church? I mean, how many of us would be strengthened? How many would be encouraged? How many of us could no longer come, here it is, to church cavalierly or unprepared, knowing that the living God might end up speaking to you? I don't want to go to a church that's a safe place to find God. I want to go to a church where we find God And God does what he does. Because he is absolutely holy and in his love. So we can trust him. And the gift of prophecy moves us in this direction. Now, here we go. Verse 26. What shall we say then? Brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you is a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church is built up. Now, this is great because this tells us what worship services looked like 2,000 years ago. There was teaching. There was singing. There was praying. There was prophecy. There was interpretation. There was a mix of the word and power gifts. But if you read Acts, we know they took communion. They gave, they gave gifts to the poor. All the gifts are present. But then Paul gets to the very point that Nick just brought up. So now what? Verse 27. If someone speaks in a tongue, two or three most at three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and keep it between himself and God. In other words, if you're breaking out in tongues and no one's interpreting, shh, do this or go to a prayer closet somewhere. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For if you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed or encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all congregations of the Lord's people. Now, here's one person's insight that gets to where we're going. Paul suggests that they should listen carefully again and sift what's being said, good from bad, accepting some and rejecting others. We again cannot imagine an Old Testament prophet like Isaiah saying, well, why don't you sift what I'm giving you? It's not the same. But Paul commands this to be done so we know what we're hearing from the Lord. So here's what we learned so far. There must be a testing to see what is from the Lord. Order is about deference. It's about self-control It does not mean we'll feel comfortable or middle class or embarrassed anymore. We're just going to have to let God deal with his stuff. Peace, not comfort, is the goal in the local church. The idea here comes from the statement of leadership evaluation. When a prophecy is given, 
It's not saying that you can only have three prophecies per service and then you've got to shut it down. Nor is it saying anything like that at all. What's saying is only do three at a time so leaders have time to evaluate what's being said. And remember, 100% of it will not be right. That's why it needs to be tested. Let me give you an example of this. And we're going to keep going there. Three weeks ago in the young adult service, we had some time for prayer at the end of the service. One of our staff came, and there was about six people praying over someone, or five. They came and said, you know, John, this is really weird. This isn't usually me, but I really think I have a word for this person. Now, you see, it's being done still in public. I said, well, okay. And then he said, could you and Dave listen to what I'm about to say? I said, sure. So we came over, and we listened to what he said. And without me or Dave speaking to each other, we immediately knew that the first half was from the Lord, And the second half wasn't evil or bad. It was just neutral. It's what this person wanted to say to that person. And so what we said is, you get to say part A and not part B. And he said, okay. And he said it, and that was exactly what the person was dealing with. See, that's an example, again, of a prophetic encounter. Now, let me just keep going so we can get to this. Why is all this important? Well, it's about balance. It's about being biblical. It's letting God be God. It's not quenching the Spirit. For us, you tend to be more intellectually or objective by spiritual gift, by passion, by education, by our culture. We need these gifts among us and in us, so we're brought to the subjective side, the personal, the interactive side of our faith. Yet all of us who lean on the other direction need to be more grounded in God's written word so we can be doctrinally and biblically led. The point is this, we need each other. We need each other. Now, here are some symptoms. I'm going to go through the symptoms and then process. Here are some symptoms that I've thought through and others have thought through that might tell you you have the gift of prophecy, though you've probably never used that word. Others of you who think you have the gift of prophecy are about to find out you have never had it. Here it is. You're not afraid to speak out publicly or take strong stands on issues. Good morning, Nick. Okay. (laughs) So that's not the only criteria. So I don't know yet. We'll see. Number two, you need to see the needs of a whole group spiritually, and you're willing to take a biblical stand on them. When you speak publicly, people are convicted by God's truth that you give. Here's the big one. You demonstrate an inner sensitivity to God, and you have had a variety of experiences in which the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you feel that you have a word for the whole community or your small group, and it can be expressed in a few ways. A scripture... An image, a picture, or a statement that will always encourage or admonish. It does not come from your own political bent. It does not come from your philosophical view of what you think the church should be doing right now. Nor does it come from your holy or unholy discontent. It is Jesus speaking to his church through you. It has nothing to do with your own agenda. If it ever did, the leadership, by God's grace, is going to catch it. Now, here's what we've learned so far. And walk with me. Number one, we've learned that prophecy is not like the Old Testament at all. It's not an Old Testament thing. Number two, it is not the gift of teaching. Number three, it's not equal to the Bible. Actually, it's lesser than the teaching of God's Word. Now, this is what I want to say. Someone wrote this. I loved it. If the gift of prophecy begins to be used in a local church, the church should be in place where it even actually emphasizes the Scriptures even more as a source in which Christians can always hear the voice of the living God. Prophecy is a valuable gift, 
as are many other gifts, but it is the scriptures that God and God alone speaks his very words to us, even today and throughout our lives. Rather than hoping, oh, this is a big thing, rather than hoping that at every worship service, the highlight would be some word of prophecy, those who have the gift of prophecy or like that genre need to be reminded that we should find our ultimate joy and our expectations and our delight in God himself as he speaks to us through his written word. See, what happens in certain churches is someone gets up, they sing their songs, someone preaches an incredible message, and it's dead. Then it's prophecy time. Hands are up, everyone's excited, it's game time. No, it's not. See, that's the, that's the danger of this conversation. This, the Word of God, we will always meet Him there. We can never become a church where we have the thing and then the show. That violates what Paul is trying to teach us. A few other things. Notice it's always done in community, within groups of people. It's not a person-to-person experience. We're going to talk about words of knowledge in the next few weeks, and that will clarify this. The word or the prophecy that's given publicly can be for a person, a family, or the whole church. Another thing, the idea or the word or the image needs to be tested so we can know that it is God-given. Now, I just want to say this right up front. Some of you are starting to go, oh, my goodness, he's serious. Like, you're actually saying we're going to do this at C4? Yes. For, well, the four people, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. People online, no. Okay. Um, no, but let me tell you why I'm saying this. It's not an agenda. If we're going to legitimize one gift, we have to legitimize all the gifts. If we're going to say teaching and administration, we also have to say prophecy. But to Nick's question is this. We are going to work very diligently how to do this right. I mean, don't think that next week there's going to be a mic. The prophecy mic is not coming. It's not going to be glittered, you know, like just, okay? Behold the mic, you know, yeah, yeah. No, no, but what we're going to do is this. We're going to work hard to understand how to teach to do this right in small groups, and in our corporate gatherings. It cannot become a thing of disorder. It needs to be discerned and tested by leaders. We're talking to churches of our size and actually larger that do this every single week in a very balanced way. We don't have all the answers yet, but one of the things that Nick was saying about how do we interact with the front, how do we do this right, we are going to spend some time to do this right so it's not bizarro land, nor is it actually actually quenching the spirit, but actually fits what God is trying to do among us. Is that cool with everyone? You understand what I'm saying that? So we're asking you to give us some time so we can do this right. But what we are going to say is this, that if the gift of prophecy is called to be used in public worship gatherings, whether in a small group or in a large group, we need to start asking the question, which we've begun in the last month and a half, how do we do this right here without taking away from the Word of God, without taking away from our ministry time together or our worship time together or our our giving? Our determination is to follow the Scriptures as close as we can in our own cultural context. But I will reassure you, I will reassure you that we will work diligently so this is done right in an order. Not Canadian order, just in good order, okay? And that's important. A few other things, then I'm going to end. Uh, And this is really important. I want to say that if someone messes up with this gift, it does not devalue the gift in the person. And I just, I need to say this so much time, because you know, a lot of us, if, if I messed up teaching one Sunday, you wouldn't all go, well, that's it. He's done. No more teaching gift. 
If someone messed up the gift of mercy, and actually they were being merciful but made it about themselves, you wouldn't go, well, you don't have the gift of mercy. You'd say, wow, work on your character. But we have a double standard for spiritual gifts. So if you've got love gifts, you can mess up and grow. If you have word gifts, you can mess up and grow. If you have power gifts, you better get them 100% right or you're just from the devil or you're wrong. That's not fair. So if someone messes up on tongues, don't say they don't have tongues. Gently encourage them in the right direction. If someone messes up a prophecy, even in public, put your stones down and let's just all ask what we can do better next time. We need to have a common understanding of grace because God has given the gifts and we all have to grow and work out our character together. Last thing and then I'm done and it's this. This gift brings the very presence of God into services like this and it's evangelistic. People are going to start meeting Jesus among us when this is starting to be used. There are going to be people who say, truly, God is among you. How did you know that was me? And we're going to say, it's not our brand, it's not C4 Church. Jesus is coming after you. Others of us as Christians are going to be strengthened, encouraged, and even rebuked. And I hope that there's a new sense of holiness and expectation in our church. As the word of God is preached, as we worship, as we give. Because we don't come here cavalierly anymore. Jesus is actually at C4 Church. We need to really start embracing that. Last statement, and Dan, you can come up, and then we'll respond. Gordon Fee, who I respect profoundly, one of the best New Testament scholars in the last hundred years, loves Jesus deeply. He dances, I hear, when he worships. He's an amazing preacher, and he's a par excellent academic. This is what he said about prophecy, and I've got to end with this because it's so good. He says, have you ever thought that the story of the fall suggests that one of the first effects on all of us as humans is our great sense and our need to hide from the living God. It's the folly of our sinfulness, he writes, that allows us to think that we can keep doing it. Thus, one of the sure signs of the presence of God in the believing community is in the deep, plowing work of the Holy Spirit, where through prophetic revelation, the secrets of our hearts are laid bare. And then he writes this, No wonder the Corinthian church preferred tongues. It not only gave them a sense of being better and spiritual than everyone else, it was just safer. By this we are beginning to see and asking the living God to do anything he can and anything he must among us for his glory, then for our freedom, so the world gets to see Jesus clearly. So I'd like you to stand as we end here, and we're going to do what we've been doing for the last few weeks. Dan's going to lead in a song in a bit with Jerome. And for you online, don't click off because I want to pray for you right now. And here's what we're going to do. As we've been doing every week, elders and pastors, if you want to come down to the front, and if you believe that you have the gift of prophecy, we're going to ask you to come forward and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that you have the character you're going to need, the spiritual gifting, and areas to serve in time. Number two, some of you may want to ask Jesus for this gift, and he will hear that request, but he may say no, and you have to be okay with that. Some of you still need to come to leaders and confess that you are bitter because God gave you gifts that you didn't want and you want other ones. It's a lordship issue for you. You have not submitted and said... I'm okay with how God has made me. Some of you actually have gifts, including prophecy, but you need to come to an elder or a pastor and you need to confess this morning that you have misused it for your own power. Though God was working through you, you ended up making it about yourself or your own glory or because people started getting drawn to you, you started getting power over people sexually, emotionally. God has no time. He will not share his glory with another. He will not. And if that's you and you've misused your gifts in any way, just say, man, I need to confess this. 
But we're going to ask you to come forward and pray. And by the way, if you weren't here last week or in the other weeks and you have the gift of administration or helps, mercy, giving, teaching, exhortation, apostleship, leadership, pastoring, or evangelist, that's you come forward and we'd love to pray the same things over you. So let's pray that what's from the Lord will stay, what was from me would fall away. Let's pray what God would do in the next few minutes. So Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Thanks that it's true and living and active. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for what you're going to do among us. And here's what we pray. Lord, for those online watching right now who may have this gift, we pray you'd tell them if they really do or not. Guard them from temptation. Give them character. Forgive those online that have actually used this gift or others for selfish purposes. Clean them up. And whatever church they're part of, ours or another, may you give them a fresh start. Spirit of the living Jesus, we invite you here now to meet with us as we sing to you and as we respond to you. We ask you, God, to do only your will in this space, in the name of Jesus. And we'd also ask, of course, as a church, lead us so we don't go off the deep end, nor do we quench your spirit. Our request is, God, that we would follow you where you're taking us. We ask this in the name of Father who called us, the Son who died for us, and the Spirit who's among us right now. And all of God's people said, amen. You're welcome to come forward if you're ready, and then Dan will lead in the song. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, carotherscreek.ca.